Welcome to the Rock Your Retirement Show. I'm your host, Kathy Klein, and today we're going to be talking about what else? COVID 19. As most of us are sequestered in our homes during the COVID 19 crisis, we have the opportunity to get better organized in our lives and prepare for the future. Hopefully, for most of us, the future will be bright as we return to our more normal lives. However, For some of us, the crisis will bring other life challenges. With so many people out of legitimate work, this is likely to be a time when crooks come out of the woodwork and take advantage of the situation. The results are the miracle cures, the scams to get that government check, outright fraud, and of course, identity theft. This podcast today has three parts. The first part is about the obvious scams that are being seen all the time, some with a COVID-19 twist. The second part is some things that you can do to organize so that you will be in the best shape should you fall prey to some of these schemes. The third part is to provide critical steps that you need to take should you become a victim of identity theft. We hope that this episode will help you keep your guard up and also help you use this time of sequestration to get yourself organized in case you ever become a victim. Let's first talk about scams. The first one is the $1,200 check bait. Many millions of people are supposed to get a check from the government to tide us over during this very trying period. This, unfortunately, is like chum to a shark who wants to get his or her hands on your check. We don't know how the government is going to disseminate these checks, which opens the door to fraud. One thing we do know, neither the government nor any financial institution is going to call you about that payment. If you get an email or a phone call from anyone with an official sounding organization, it is only someone trying to take that check away from you. It would be typical that the person contacting you would want to get bank account information, offer you an advance against the check, or get enough information so that they would know where to find the check to steal it and cash it themselves. Please do not respond to any requests coming from the telephone or email regarding your $1,200 payment. The only way the government might communicate would be through an official correspondence via the U.S. Postal Service. Another way that they can try to get their hands on your money is through fraudulent mail. We, from time to time, receive something in the mail that looks like it may have come from a government entity. But is it really from the government? This is a case where vigilance is necessary. We can usually tell when something comes from the IRS, for example. It would have an official printed logo and the contents will make sense without requests for your personal information or anything they don't already have. That being said, the IRS or the U.S. Treasury Department may send a $1,200 check to those who don't have bank account information on file. Our advice? Watch your mailbox like a hawk. Another scam is a COVID check request. You receive an email message from a supposed government entity telling you that you can get your COVID relief check if you submit a form. 
The form requests personal information which the scammer gets, but the underlying reason is to be able to infect your machine with malware. Bottom line, the government will not issue checks in this way, so please delete the message before doing anything. Another scam is called the expedite scam. We actually don't know when the checks will be coming. Some say it will be more than a month. This is an opening for someone to offer you an advance on the money you're expected to get. This can take several forms. It could be a loan with high interest rates, or it could be more insidious, such as the promise of money sent to your bank account as long as you give the scammer your account number. It could also be a check that, when deposited, gives the person your banking information. Don't fall for someone who tells you that you can get your money earlier. Another scam is miracle cures. All of us are desperate to find a cure for COVID-19. We're also desperate to take something that would make us immune. Unfortunately, there's no such remedies yet, so don't fall for the miracles that don't exist. That being said, there are a few supplements that might, and I emphasize might, have some benefit. Before you buy or take anything, check with a trusted source. One such source is ConsumerLab.com, a company that tests supplements. They published a document with video entitled Natural Remedies and Supplements for Coronavirus, COVID-19. This is great information aimed at dispelling myths and also introduces some potential supplements that could be helpful in fighting COVID-19 for those who may be lacking these vitamins and minerals. But the bottom line is, only trust professional healthcare organizations on this and, of course, hope a treatment comes out from the many clinical trials that are currently taking place. Another scam is COVID charities. Whenever there's a crisis like this, the charities, or fake charities, come out like weeds. This goes from GoFundMe accounts to all kinds of charities professing to help those in need because of COVID-19. But before you plunk down any of your hard-earned money, make sure that the charity is legitimate by accessing one or more of the various sites designed for this purpose. Be careful about the names that are close to those of legitimate charities. Check the addresses as well as the names. You can go to Charity Watch, Charity Navigator, Give.org, or the IRS's Exempt Organization Select Check Tool to find the charity. Also, before giving it, it is well worth reading the FTC checklist. I'm going to read this, but I'll also put this in the show notes. It's HTTPS colon slash slash www.consumer.ftc.gov slash articles slash 0074 dash giving dash charity. However, before you waste your time on your research, AARP provides a list of warning signs for fraudulent charities. First, pressure to give right now. A legitimate charity will welcome your donation whenever you choose to make it. Number two, a thank you for a donation that you don't recall making. 
Making you think that you've already given to a cause is a common trick that unscrupulous fundraisers use to lower your resistance. Or three, a request for payment by cash, gift card, or wire transfer. Those are scammers' favorite payment methods because the money is difficult to trace. If you want more detail on this, go to AARP's Frauds and Scams. Another scam is a mandatory COVID-19 test. This is a phone call or SMS message from someone posing as an employee of an organization such as the Health and Human Services, telling you that they are conducting mandatory tests for COVID-19 and that you are required to fill out their questionnaire. They may say it's because you've been exposed to a COVID-19 patient. They may even tell you to take the answers to their questionnaire to a bogus test site. Of course, the questionnaire has compromising questions that you should not answer. This is a classic phishing scam to get your personal information. It makes no sense since no one in any of these agencies is reaching out in this way. Then, of course, there's the -the on-the-spot COVID test. Recently, a group of people who were dressed in white hazmat suits set up a tent in a parking lot and proceeded to approach people offering tests for COVID-19 for $60. They were posing as a private testing service under the auspices of the FDA. Since this is a totally unlikely scenario, eventually someone caught on and called the authorities. Of course, they had bogus tests, but for some time they collected $60 and a lot of personal information. If anything like this happens to you, please walk the other way. Another scam is the SBA loan. In this case, someone posing as a Small Business Administration employee sends you an email telling you that you can get a loan from the SBA, which is true, and all you have to do is fill out an online form and attach your tax return. The form you fill out goes to the scammer, and you may be left with malware that compromises your machine. This scam really looks like the legitimate SBA form. The clue is that the SBA does not reach out like this, so don't fall for it. Of course, this is only a partial list of thousands of scams that are hitting folks at home while they shelter in place or go out to get provisions. I hope by telling you about these that you'll be wary when someone tries to scam or defraud you. Not only is COVID-19 a threat, but unscrupulous people are out there as well. This brings us to the middle part. What can you do to organize your critical information so that if you happen to be caught by fraud, robbery, or theft of your personal information, you can quickly respond with the right information? Also, what should you be doing to monitor your finances to detect possible fraudulent activity? The first suggestion is to make a list of the types of finance-related information that is really important that you might need to know should you become a victim of fraud or robbery. Here is a typical list. 1. Credit card numbers with the credit card contact phone number. 2. Bank account numbers with the bank contact phone number. 3. Investment account numbers with the investment company's contact phone number. 
Four, insurance company policy numbers with the insurance company's contact numbers. Five, your auto license and registration number. Six, your utility company account numbers with contact phone numbers. This includes electricity, gas, your landline phone if you have one, your cell phone. Seven, the location of your file containing your insurance policies. Eight, the location of your trust or will. Nine, the location of important legal documents such as your marriage certificate, settlements, etc. Ten, your attorney and his or her phone number. Eleven, your accountant and his or her phone number. And twelve, a list of what credit cards and various IDs you carry in your wallet. I just want to mention that if you have a scanner, you might want to scan all of the cards in your wallet and save the files in a safe place, encrypted, on your computer. You could also print it out and put it in your safe. All of these items that I just listed could be contained in a single document because none of them contain critical personal information. The purpose of this document would be to allow you to make necessary contacts in the shortest amount of time. You should also keep your IDs and passwords for online access to your accounts in a secure place, separate from the document we just discussed. The best way to keep track of this information is to use a password manager. This is an application program that keeps this kind of information encrypted and secure. I use LastPass, which is free for the features that most people use. There's also a version that has extra features, and that's the one that I use and pay for. Password managers also make it very easy to sign on to your accounts by linking to your account login screen and automatically filling in the ID and password from your password manager file if you're logged in. Other highly rated password managers are RoboForm, Dashlane, Keeper, 1Password, and NordPass. If you don't want to use a password manager for this, you can do a few things to protect this information. You can come up with a cipher where one character means another. But you would need your cipher table separate from your data, and this can be somewhat cumbersome. A much better option would be to create an ID and password list on your computer and encrypt its contents when saving it. This would be a deterrent to prying eyes. And by the way, encrypting is different from the password that you use to log in. Now, of course, you'll have to remember the password that you assign to the document. Microsoft Word allows you to encrypt your documents. To do this, you would select Save As on the File pull-down menu. And in the window that opens up, there's a Tools option at the bottom right corner of the window. You then would select General Options, and a window will open showing the encryption option. After you have collected your critical financial information and stored it in a safe place where you will easily find it, the last thing you need to do is exercise a feature that most financial institutions offer. This is to have that institution send you alerts when certain transactions take place. One example might be an alert when a withdrawal greater than $200 is made from your checking account or a purchase greater than $100 is made with your credit card. You can go into your institution's account and set up these alerts. 
This way, if you get an alert about a transaction that might be fraudulent, you can go to your information document, make a call to your institution, and handle the situation nipping it in the bud. Now that you have prepared these documents, you will be prepared should you become a fraud or robbery victim. Hey, we've been talking about COVID-19 and how it can affect your money. But do you know what else can affect your money? Someone hacking into your accounts because you were using Wi-Fi unprotected. I've been protecting my data from prying eyes for years using NordVPN. If you're not protecting yourself, now's the time to start. Head on over to rockyourretirement.com VPN. That's V like virtual, P like private, N like network. You'll be supporting the show if you purchase at no additional cost to you, and you'll be protecting your most valuable data. Don't wait. Do it today. And now, back to the show. In the third part of this podcast, I go into detail on what you need to do if you've found that your identity has been stolen, that somehow, some way, some crook has gotten your social security number, bank account number with PIN, your full name, your full address, and some personal information about you. The crook then pretended to be you, buying a bunch of stuff and getting loans and credit cards in your name. This is identity theft at its worst. Identity theft is one of the most painful financial frauds that any one of us might have to endure, which makes it really important to follow the proper steps to clear your name in the shortest period possible with the least amount of loss. We'll now talk about this. My parents had their home broken into. The place was ransacked and their birth certificates were stolen. Their passports were stolen along with lots of other valuables such as jewelry, TVs, etc. And of course, my parents are devastated because of what happened. I mean, obviously, they feel violated because of this. But I wanted to go through some steps that you can do if your ID is stolen. So the first thing that you're going to want to do is put a fraud alert on your credit scores. You're going to want to order your credit reports right away and create an identity theft report. That is what you're going to want to do. Those are the first three steps to take if your identity is stolen. And obviously, if your passport, your birth certificates, you're going to want to do this as well. Now, you're going to want to create a system to organize your papers and track your deadlines. And so you're going to want to track the telephone calls that you make. Now, you can create an Excel spreadsheet for this. Basically, it needs to be the date of each call, the name, and the telephone number of everybody that you contact. You're going to want to have your questions prepared and be prepared to spend some time doing this. You can also send letters by certified mail with return receipt, and there are some government documents that help you with some sample letters. You're going to want to create a filing system where you keep all of your originals and you're going to want to send copies of your documents and reports, not the actual originals. 
make copies of your identification to include in the letters. Now, obviously, if you don't have ID, you're going to have to deal with that as well. You're going to want to make a timeline where you're going to list important dates and you're going to include when you must file requests because a lot of times the companies will only put a temporary hold on your credit report. The companies must respond to you and you're going to want to send follow-up. So these are some of the things that you're going to want to do, you know, initially. Now, to place an initial fraud alert, you need to only contact one credit reporting company. You don't need to report all of them. But you'll want to either contact Equifax, Experian, or TransUnion. You'll let them know that you're an identity theft victim. You'll ask them to put a fraud alert on your credit file and confirm that the company that you call will contact the other two companies. This is free, and but like I said earlier, it only lasts for 90 days. So you're going to want to call and update them because the, the person who stole your identity may know this and may start all over again. You're going to want the credit reporting companies to have your current telephone information, your current email address, etc. I know that I have different phone numbers for different credit cards. And so if this happens to you, you want to make sure that they have your current information. The credit reporting company will explain to you that you can get a free credit report and whatever rights you have, make sure that you listen to that. And then put in your calendar 90 days so that you can renew your fraud alert at that time. Also, you're going to want to update your files. You know, like I said, record, 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 record all of the information. Whenever you're making a phone call, you always want to get the name of the person. You're going to want to get the date and the time. These things are very, very important. Now, you can get a credit freeze. Now, this is a little bit it's kind of a hassle to have a credit freeze on your file because then if you want to get new credit, guess what? You're going to have to get that removed. But here's how you can do it. You would contact your state attorney general's office and ask them if there's a fee for putting a freeze on your credit line. Sometimes there is and sometimes there's not. And you'll also want to ask them how long it lasts. And You can go to the web at www n like nancy, a like apple, a like apple, g like goodness.org. So that's <laughs> it's a funny name, nag.org. <laughs> and just ask them these questions. Also, when you are contacting the credit reporting agency, and this time you'll want to contact all of them, and you'll ask them to put a freeze on your credit file, and you might need to pay a fee. So if the if your state does allow a fee, you'll need to pay that. So just keep that in mind. And then ask them how long the freeze is going to last and mark your calendar. I know, I know it's such a hassle to do that. But unfortunately, these are the things that you need to do if, if your identity gets stolen. The main thing is keeping lots and lots of copies of everything. Now, of course, you'll want to order your credit reports. 
And I do want to let you know that when you place an initial fraud alert, you are entitled to a free credit report from each of the three reporting agencies. But did you also know that everybody is allowed a free credit report from each agency anyway once a year? And so what I do, and and, um, I haven't had my ID stolen. I mean, I did when I was younger, but um, it was 30 years ago. So what I do is every four months, I get a credit report. So for example, I might get one from Equifax in January, and then we've got February, March, and then in May... I might get one from Experian. And then four months later, I would get one from TransUnion. So this is a way for you to monitor your credit for free by staggering your credit reports instead of getting them all at once. But of course, when your ID is stolen, you're going to want to get them all at once just to make sure. You will obviously want to create an ID theft report If something happened in your home, like with my parents, you're going to get a police report as well. But to get an ID theft report, you're going to submit a complaint about the theft to the FTC. And you're going to do this in writing. And you're going to print that report and it will print out as an ID theft affidavit. You're going to file a police report about the ID theft and you'll get a copy of the police report. And the reason why this is important is because a lot of the times when you're working um, to try to get some of your money back, if somebody has opened out an account in your name or used your credit cards or what have you, you're going to need a police report. A lot of the times the police will not do this without the identity theft report. So that's why you need to do it in that order. So anyway, even though you're filling out this ID theft report, some of the companies are going to want even more information. So keep that in mind. And if you hear the noise in the background, that's because I've got the official Taking Charge book that is printed out by the FTC. Okay, now, how to report the ID theft to the FTC and print an identity theft affidavit. So we've already gone through part of that. You've got your ID theft affidavit and your personal recovery plan. You're going to go to identitytheft.gov after you get that, you know, your ID theft affidavit. So after you get that, you're going to go to identitytheft.gov and click on get started. Now, if you can't do that for some reason, maybe your computer was stolen, you can call 1-877-438-4338. You can create an account, and if you do that, identitytheft.gov will walk you through each recovery step. They'll update your plan as needed and and track your progress. And here's the cool thing. They will pre-fill forms and letters for you, and they'll allow you to update and view your affidavit at any time. If you don't create an account, you will not be able to access or update your information. Okay, so you might want to create that account. Also, remember, super, super, super important to record the dates that you do all this in your spreadsheet. Okay, now after that, when you go to the police, you're going to want to bring a copy of your FTC ID theft affidavit, any proof of the theft, a government-issued ID with photo, hopefully they didn't take that, 
proof of your address. So this might be a utility bill, a rental agreement, anything like that. And the FTC's memo to law enforcement. This memo explains to police how ID theft reports are important to victims. You will complete a report about the theft and ask to have a copy or the number of the report and write that in your spreadsheet. Now, in some states, police have to take your report and in other states, they don't. If the police won't take a report about your ID theft, ask if you can file a quote, miscellaneous incidents report, end quote, or go to a different police station. You can go to a sheriff's department, state police, or a federal authority. You're going to need an official report for a lot of these things that you're going to need to do with your credit cards, etc. And again, update your files. Very, very important. And keep a copy of that report, you know, the, the FTC ID theft affidavit and the reports. Do not send out the originals. Remember, you're going to just send out copies. Now, after your fraud alert has expired, you're going to want to place an extended fraud alert. Contact each credit reporting company individually and ask them to place an extended fraud alert on your credit line. You might have to complete a form, but that's okay. And include a copy of your ID theft report when you submit this along with your letter. Again, this is going to last seven years. When you place an extended fraud alert, it's free, but it's going to last seven years. And so you want to mark your calendar so that after the seven years is up, you can decide what you want to do. Again, record this in your spreadsheet, the date you called, who you talked to, the time, etc. Okay, then after that, you're going to need to review your credit reports. And if there are errors or things on your credit report that you did not do, you're going to have to dispute them. When you find mistakes, you're going to send letters explaining the mistakes to the, the three credit reporting agencies, the fraud department of each business that reported the, the transaction to your account. You know, for example, I'll give you an example. Let's say you're looking at your credit report and you see that a charge was made at Walmart in Arkansas. And let's say you live in California. Well, then what you're going to need to do is contact that Walmart in Arkansas and say, look, I live in California. I wasn't there. And so I need you to remove this from my credit report because obviously my example is not good because Walmart's not going to extend credit. But you know what I'm saying. Let's say they you opened up an account for Steinmart and there's no Steinmart in your area. Okay, and the person opened up the account, charged up $5,000 worth of stuff, and then never paid it. So you're going to need to contact them and say, hey, you know, my ID was stolen. I need, you know, here's my, here's my proof. And you're, you're going to need to take that off my credit report. So if, if you have an identity theft report, you can ask the credit agencies to block the disputed information from appearing on your credit report. So that is something that you can do. So basically, I don't have good news for you. If your credit is stolen, if your ID is stolen, it is going to be a hassle. 
So what I do recommend that you do is get yourself some credit, some ID theft protection. Now, currently I'm checking out one of the major ID theft protections uh, agencies that does offer reconstruction. You know, they, they will help contact the credit agencies, contact the, you know, all the credit cards, and they'll do that. And I will come back and let you know what I think. So that is it. Oh, and if you want a copy of this book that I'm looking at, and it's fairly substantial, it's it's not a, a thin book. It's printed by the Federal Trade Commission. The one that I have was printed in April of 2013. You can get a copy at identitytheft.gov. And it's called Taking Charge, What to Do If Your Identity is Stolen. There's much, much, much more in this book than what I talked about. I just wanted to give you some, some first steps in case your identity is stolen. So I am so sorry that I had to do this episode, but it's so important. And if you have any questions or if you have any comments, head over to the show notes at rockyourretirement.com and feel free to post a comment in the comments section. So that's it for now. We'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Oh, wait, I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rock Your Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August actually August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, 
iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show. And when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.